Hi, this is Cliff Click, and welcome to today's podcast on Structive Arrays versus Array of Structs. And this is purely a, a data structure choice. It looks like it won in the first uh, glance, but it has strong performance implications, like strong like in 10x speedups in, in, under some circumstances. It's a, it's a big deal, so it's worth talking about. So what do I mean by an array of structs? I mean the sort of common everyday operation where I have an array whose elements are a uniform kind of structure. So, you know, an easy example we see I have an array of persons and each person has a name, a rank and a serial number, and a zip code, and an address, and a phone number, and a credit card, and an expiry date, and, and 17 other fields. So, you know, I have some sort of person object and I have a few million of them. And now, and, you know, I want to go do something with these few million people in some sort of timely fashion. And, you know, what's the cost to go visit a few million people if there's a thousand bytes per person or so floating about? Well, I've got a gigabyte and it takes however long it takes to run a gigabyte through RAM. What if I have a, a billion people? And I'm using people and probably no one actually has a billion people except maybe Google. Um, but you can imagine a billions of whatever times, you know, a few thousand bytes at pop, and suddenly you're looking at pushing a terabyte through your memory buses, and that takes a long time, and you know, a measurable amount of time. And, and do I care, and you know, why does it matter, and what, what is the whole structive arrays thing about? So the structive arrays turns the data structure 90 degrees, and, and I guess I want to make it clear to the audience that this technique can be applied to lots of different kinds of data structures. And it's important as having your toolbox as a programmer to view any data structure that's going to be manipulated on along a couple different dimensions, indexed a couple different dimensions, to know that you can rotate them in all different directions. And usually there's interesting savings to be had by doing so. So in this case, I'm just going to take my two-dimensional structure and say, what if I were to turn it 90 degrees and have a structure of array. So what's that mean? Well, it means I have a structure, has a name field, and then it has an array of a million or a billion names. And it has an age field, an array of a million ages. And it has a phone number field, and it has a expiry and a credit card and whatever, 27 fields. Each one points to an array of the underlying primitive type. Okay, so I can do this, and why do I care? So it's commonly the case that I have a collection of something important, and so I declare a collection of you know, people, however it's done, and eventually, because I have a lot of them and I'm moving around in bulk, I have an array of peoples or whatever it is. It could be cars, it could be stocks I'm trading, it could be you know, tickers in a stock trade system, and it could be medical records. I have an array of them. And I want to do some interesting, some sort of, some sort of problem on them that involves uh, enough work that I want it to be fast. So either I need a low latency, or I'm doing, you know, machine learning as a case in point where you end up making pass after pass for the data. And and is there a, a better way to think about it? So if I'm looking at an array of structs, it's easy to to think about an individual person. I say. Give me the, the one millionth person, and I get a struct back, and then I can look at and manipulate to think about it. But if I'm looking at iterating over the million people or the billion people, and I'm walking through the structure, as long as these structs are laid out end to end in RAM, it's all sort of very straightforward streaming, uh, streaming data access. And that can happen, and but it is not guaranteed by a language like Java. Languages which understand two-dimensional or multi-dimensional arrays of primitives totally get the memory layout game. Java does not. 
So there's another way to look at this. So suppose I'm only interested in getting a histogram of ages because I want to get a look at my age of my viewership, right? Of my podcast viewership, which doesn't run into the millions, by the way. Um, what what is the you know what is the cost of doing uh, an array of structs access versus structive arrays? Well, when I look at an array of a struct, the struct has lots of fields in it, and they're all laid out end to end, and they all run so many that they pretty quickly run out of a cache line, and generally run into four or ten cache lines. They run several cache lines in. When I want the age field out, it's the only age on that cache line. So when I go grab a person, I grab a cache miss because I'm looking at a million people. They don't all fit in my cache. In fact, only a small fraction fit in the cache. So as I'm walking through the people fields, grabbing the age, I'm guaranteed a cache miss for every age or a cache miss for every person. Or you know, if I have a billion, it's a billion cache misses. And that adds up to a lot of time. Whereas if I have a struct of arrays and I turn the structure on its side, if I'm only looking at the age field, then I'm only looking at ages. And they're back to back to back, all jammed together. They probably all fit in a byte if I've cared to do this think much thinking on them because not too many people get over age, you know, 128. And no one I know of, except maybe if you think in biblical terms, gets above 255. So if I have an array of bytes, I'm getting 32 or 64 people per cache line. And that 32 or 64, that's my speed. That's totally proportional to the amount of time involved. And the actual time I'm going to take to walk through an array of, of a billion bytes versus an array where I'm getting a cache miss for every one, it's going to be, you know, 32 to 64 times faster. So, you know, not 10x faster, 60 times faster. That's a hell of a lot faster. That's enough faster that I, that I start to care about it if I'm doing this for any length of time. <coughs> Another, another way to look at this problem is to say, if I have a, um, you know, a billion peoples, how much overheads do I have? How much Java object overhead do I have? Well, my people object was pretty big, but suppose I have a billion points because I have some sort of fun graphing problem, or I'm doing a, a numerical simulation study and I have a billion points of some structure, I'm trying to do a, you know, a wind resistance on the hood of a car, whatever it's going to be. As soon as I have a billion points, if I make them in Java, I have a billion Java object headers. And the point object itself isn't very big. Hopefully, it's nothing more than uh, a couple lower D doubles. And then I'm looking at uh, a full object word for, well, two full object words for the object header and two more words for the data. It's 50% is taken up with the object headers. So I have a billion of them. Then I've got you know, four words at 32 or 64 bytes a pop times, you know, a billion, suddenly it's real memory. And half of it is Java object headers. Whereas if I go to the array of point, the, the struct of arrays version, where I have an X column and a Y column, um, then I only pay the object headers, you know, once for each of the arrays and once for the top level struct, but not the billion times. And so again, it's hugely more efficient in memory. There's another angle here. And that's in the, the struct of array version. Um, I can add my entire arrays sort of one at a time. I don't have to add them all up front. Whereas if you do an array of structs, um, every field has to end up existing in every object, whether I'm using it or not, and, and uh, immediately up front. So if I need a thousand bytes to hold all the possible fields of a person and I need them uh, immediately, what I need for the billion people, I need that terabyte you know, right now. 
Whereas if I'm going to load the fields one at a time, or maybe as I do, you know, manipulations on the different people, some of the fields come and some go because they represent various temporary, you know, portions of my calculations. I can add and subtract those fields just by adding and subtracting the whole array. I don't have to have them all, all the time for every person, even when I'm not using them for any person. And that's another way I can, I can save on memory, um, especially it's interesting for, for memory that's uh, uh, temporarily in use during some sort of calculation. It's being used and then it's done. It's being used and then it's done. Um, I'd rather make a whole array, do it, uh, and then, you know, next pass, use it, and then I'm done, throw that array away. And I can't add and subtract fields from, from an object. So the struct of array trick is really about its memory efficiency and its speed of moving the data through the memory hierarchy. It's this nice handy trick as soon as you get beyond a certain scale of objects. If you got a thousand thingies, you probably don't care. If you're um, adding and subtracting thingies pretty wildly, um, maybe you want some other structure that supports easy mutation. If you've just loaded a billion of them from the, you know, from the database or from disk, um, you know, think hard about doing struct of arrays versus array of structs. Hand in hand with the data savings is the fact that I can, you know, memory savings, I can fit in memory where I cannot otherwise, and that might be an interesting uh, savings determined manipulation. Instead of doing a, a totally doing a database style coding scheme, I can do an in-memory coding scheme where I'm just writing raw Java to go walk over things. Um, and, 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 you know, vice versa, sort of the other ways around. It, it, it's just a lot easier to think about the performance implications if I have a struct of arrays um, where each of the arrays is some fundamental, you know, small thing. So uh, hand in hand with this, you know, big array to big data problem, let me let me bring out another uh, performance point, and that's the cost of allocation of a Java object, and you know, and what what is what is that cost? And everyone will tell you it's free, and it's that's somewhat of a lie. It's not actually free at all. The garbage collection side of a dead Java object pretty much is free. Um, but to allocate a Java object, when you do an allocation, you ask for some piece of memory that, due to the way garbage collectors work, hasn't been in the caches of the CPU in forever today. So it's you know been lost, long lost out of cache. It's, it's a guaranteed cache mess. And if I do another allocation, isn't it just going to stream them in? And I'm doing you know you know, fast good streaming of the new memory for Java objects. Well, yes and no. So every time I ask for a Java object, the JVM is going to go from the hardware's point of view, touch some of the bytes of that cache line to zero them, but not all of the bytes of that cache line. So the hardware doesn't know if the remaining bytes will get zeroed or not, and it generally goes ahead and fetches them. And it fetches them in the width of a chunk of basically a cache line at a, at a pop, because that's the size of the buses they're going to operate at. And what that means is, a bunch of your memory bandwidth on your hardware is being spent to load in cache lines that are about to get zeroed out. Turns out if you make a lot of these objects, they fill up your cache, and if you're churning through them at a high rate, they're also dead, and then they end up getting written out. So, you know, half your bandwidth gets eaten up by reading in objects that are going to get overwritten to zero, and the other half gets used up by writing out objects that are actually dead now. So if I w iterate through a billion peoples and I want to do something interesting and I allocate a Java object, it's almost guaranteed that nearly all the time will be spent in object allocation, but it won't show up in your profile that way unless you're really smart at looking at your L2 counters 
because instead it'll show up as smeared out all over the place because you're running out of memory bandwidth. You know, if I pull up somebody and I want to ask the question, what's your zip code and I have an address field and I'm walking through a billion strings and I'm calling string split. Well, when I call string split, I end up making, you know, an array list under the hood somewhere of, a, of an array and, and the array is an array of strings and there's a couple string headers get plunked down in there and a couple more strings and a bunch of car headers. And when I'm done with said thing, I end up making, you know, five to 10 objects depending on how many strings I split into and they're all pretty short and I get a whole lot of uh, object headers as well and end up allocating, you know, 100 to 1000 bytes pretty easily. And if I do that a billion times, that's a lot of memory I end up allocating and garbage collecting, and it adds to the total runtime. Whereas if I have a, a, a custom walker walking through the string fields and I'm just looking for zip codes um, and I don't do any allocation, you, you know, you can easily, again, get a 10x to, to 30x speed up here. These are the ways, the places where the time goes. So if you're walking through something fairly homogenous and you're walking through a billion of them and you're allocating on every one, your time's probably going to all be spent on the allocation. So it, it comes down to, you know, how do you want to code and, and what do you care about for speed? If you just got a few thousand things, you don't care and just, you know, speeds, this is not where your time's going and do the obvious coding thing, you know, the premature optimization game. But if you're coding something where you know the data sets are going to get big, think hard about using arrays as a fundamental structure because of the efficiency involved. Efficiency in memory, efficiency in access time, efficiency in, in actually conceptual overhead once you wrap your head around it. You can take that struct of arrays, by the way, and make a two-dimensional accessor just like the array of structs is, where one dimension's the names of the fields and the other dimension's the index and the array. And it's the same ex exact accessing pattern for random access but one direction allows sort of stride one access at full memory bandwidth speeds and the other does not. Um, well, I guess that's probably enough for now. And good luck with, you know, all your big coding problems out there. Until next time. Thanks. Bye bye.